I know I'm biased, but I will say there's nothing like Christmas at Chapel Hill. And part of that is the excellence that our ringers bring to every performance. Every single one is so good and so excellent. So, Sharon and ringers, thank you for your wonderful ministry to us. And I hope you'll come this afternoon. At what time? Two o'clock. I know there's a great crowd last night. Some of you are going to want to come back because it was that good. But come for our annual Christmas concert. Our folks, our bell ringers, our orchestra, our choir have worked very hard to present to you a real gift. And I know you'll appreciate it. So come, bring your friends. Last week, Ellis spoke to you, did a great job as always, and you heard him share a little bit about the woes that they have experienced regarding their visa over the last few years. The Customs and Immigration Department of our government has really put them through the ringer. And, you know, I can understand why. You look at the whites and you say, that is a national security risk if ever, ever I saw one. Well, let me share the rest of the story. Ellis told you that he finally did receive his visa, which allows him to continue and minister with us, continue his education, pursuing ordination, uh, and and that was great news. So that's the good side of it. The not-so-good side of it was that his wife had not received a visa, did not receive a visa. And so all of us were kind of waiting for the, you know, the jackboots and the knock at the door to ship Rachel back to England because she was here illegally. The good news is last week, Rachel received her visa too, so we're okay. They're going to be able to go back home for uh, some holiday after the first of the year and, and then return to us, and we really wanted them to return, so... We are in a journey in this Advent season. We are taking a break from the story, which we will resume uh, January 3rd. So don't, we, we haven't forgotten it, but we're taking a little break in this Advent season. When we're talking about the coming of Christ, we thought it would be well for us to focus on who this Jesus is. And so to do that, we have been uh, luxuriating in what I think is the greatest Christological passage in the Bible. Bible, The passages that talk about who is this Jesus? Who is Christ? The great Christological passages are John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, that's easy to remember, and Philippians 2. You read those four, and that's that's an entire seminary class in Christology. But I don't think that any passage does more to exalt Christ, is more soaring and, and magisterial, then Colossians chapter 1, 15 and following. So that's what we've been looking at. And we've been, we've been doing so under the theme of joy for every longing heart. Because as you, as you look at that passage of Scripture, you realize that it, it is a response to many of the cries, the longings of people heart, people's hearts. Um, people, the, the longings of the heart cry out, uh, is is, can God, can we count on God? Is God real? How, how can we know who God is? And Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see who God is, what he looks like, look at Jesus. Absolutely, we can know what God is like. Or the, the call is, what does our future hold? Can we, can we know the future, the cry of the longing heart? And Paul says, absolutely, you're asking the wrong question. It's not, what is the future? It is, who holds the future? And he said, he holds the future. Christ is before all things. 
And in him, all things hold together. Relax, your future is in good hands, Paul says. This morning, we're going to turn to another question that is evident in this text. And it is the question, I think, that is redounding through our culture today. And it is this question. Does the church matter? Does the church matter or is it a relic, a throwback to an ancient time, a a useless appendage in our culture today? Does the church matter? And Paul has some really important things to say about that too. So I'm going to share this text with you. This time I'd just like to recite it to you, see how I do on that. Uh, And as I do, I want you to listen for a word. It appears nine times. And it is a simple word, nothing fancy about it. Just pay attention to it because we're going to talk about that as we get into the message. So let's hear what Paul has to say about the majestic Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, things on earth and things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, may we never take these words for granted. May we never skim over them. But rather, may we, may we stew in them, luxuriate in them, and, and wonder at who you are and that you would come to rescue us. So meet us in your word, we pray today, for Christ's sake. Amen. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? Did you find the word I was talking about? We'll come back to it in just a moment. The great theologian, pop star Justin Bieber, (laughs) has been making news in recent years because of his interest in pursuit of the Christian faith. Um, He was baptized recently, and if you go on some of his social media, you will find that he is quoting uh, Bible verses. So that's encouraging. And it has stimulated a lot of conversation. It has also stimulated some controversy because of something he said recently. Here it is. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. If you go to Taco Bell, that doesn't make you a taco. So true. Actually, he's saying two things. And the first thing he's saying is going to church does not make you a Christian. And to that we would say what? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Uh, You're not a Christian because you go to religious rituals. You're not a Christian because your name is on the rolls of a church. 
And unfortunately, hundreds of thousands and even millions of people are deluded into thinking that. If I go to church, if my names are on the rolls, I've got eternal fire insurance, I'm good to go. And we know that you don't become a Christian by going to church. You are a Christian because of a personal relationship with Jesus. And so on that, Justin and we would be in agreement. But he's making another claim, too, that I think is more concerning. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And that idea is actually echoing through our culture today. You don't need church. Church doesn't matter. And so the cry of the longing heart of those who love the church and love the Lord, and maybe those who aren't sure in society is, does the church matter? There might be even some here today who would, who would if, they, if they were really honest, would say they wonder the same thing. Maybe you're here because of pressure. You're here because it's kind of Christmas time, and you're kind of giving in to what the spouse has to say. Uh, maybe you would be here because you don't have anything better to do. I suspect with a 10 o'clock kickoff time... <laughs> There are some in our number who are going to find things more important than church to be doing today. And once again, it reminds us as we battle within a culture, it asks the same question. Does the church matter? Paul has some really important things to say about it. And Before I get to that, I want to see how well you did at spotting that word, that simple word that appears again and again and again. What was the word? Oh, it's controversy. The house is split. Yes, all is there too, but all almost always goes with another word, which is what? All things, 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 all things. Nine times Paul says it. Let me remind you, verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created by him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 19. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Nine times in this passage. What is Paul getting at? Here's what he's saying. There is not one thing over which Jesus is not supreme. There is not one thing in all of existence over which Jesus is not supreme. That's what he's saying. It's simple. What did Jesus create? All things. What does Jesus sustain? Over what is Jesus Lord? What will Jesus reconcile to himself? All things, Paul says, no thing, nothing is outside the scope of Jesus' authority, his power, his control, his dominion, his redemption. Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. You will not find a grander affirmation of the lordship of Jesus Christ than in this passage of Scripture. So why? Now... If you've used the phrase all things, 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 that many times, you pretty much have made your point, haven't you? You're not going to have to come up with an illustration. All things is pretty all-inclusive. And yet in the middle of that grand declaration of the Lordship of Christ, Paul does give an example of a specific thing among all things over which Jesus is Lord. What is that example? The church, exactly. Did you see it? Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Why? I had never seen the things thing 
until this week. I've read the scripture a zillion times. I'd never seen the things thing until this week. I thought, wow, look at that. All things, all things, all things. And then it struck me. So why, if he's just said all things, does he see fit to mention specifically the church? He is the head of the body, the church. Surely church falls under the category of third. Surely it does, right? And so that got me thinking, what is Paul trying to say here? Here's what I think it is simply. The church is really, 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 really important to Jesus. The church really, 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 really matters to Jesus. Why is that? It causes me to wonder. Which means you've got to wonder it too, because we're going to wonder it together. Why is that? First of all, you need to understand what the church is, because I don't think our culture has a good understanding of that. The church is not a building. We love this building. It served us great. It's wonderful, beautifully decorated. The church is not a building. Nor is the church a denomination. As much as we love our denomination, are grateful to be a part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, the EPC still is not the church. It is part of the church, but it is not the church. What then is the church? You! We, you are the church. Simply put, the church is the collection of all people who belong to Jesus. The church is the collection of all people who belong to Jesus. And Paul uses in this passage a, a favorite metaphor for the church that he uses throughout Scripture in other places and other parts of his letters. What is that metaphor that he uses? The body, say it. The body. He calls Christ the head of the body, the church. We are so used to that phrase, the body of Christ, talking about the church. We forget what a really remarkable image it is. He could have used another metaphor to describe the church. He he could have said that we are all trees in the forest of God's love. Or he could have said that we are all planets in the universe of God's love. But he says we are a body. We are a part of each other. We're not the individual Douglas firs stretching up to reach God. We're not the individual planets that are spinning around in our little corner of God's love universe. Paul says we are a body, connected, interconnected, indivisible, necessary to each other. This isn't the first time Paul uses this metaphor. He first uses it in an earlier letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He calls the church the body there. And he goes into even greater detail in talking about the various members of the church. He said, all of you are part of the body of Christ. And you are all serving different roles, different gifts. One of you is a toe, one of you is a head, one of you might be a mouth or a nose. And he has fun with it. He says, listen, we need each other. The body needs all of its parts, and the all of its parts have to have the body to be attached to. And he, he makes fun. He says, the, the toe can't say to the nose, I don't need you anymore. And the, the mouth can't say to the ear, I'm good on my own. I, I don't, I'm fine by myself. Every part of the body is connected. Every part of the body is necessary. So it got me thinking back to what our young theologian had to say about the church, the body of Christ. And and here's what I think he's saying.
here's the body of Christ. (laughs) And when Justin Bieber says, I don't need the church, you don't need the church, what he is saying is, hmm, I don't need you, and I don't need you, and I don't need you, I don't need you, you, or you, I don't need any of you up there. And here's what he said. He says, I'm fine all by myself. This is what it means for me to be a Christian. I don't need any of you. That's what he's saying. There's nothing that is more connected than a body. Nothing that's more interrelated, interconnected than a body. And the body, when it's working right, needs every part to do its job so that we are what we were created by God to be. And in the same fashion, Paul would say, there is no such thing as an independent Christian. They do not exist. We were saved not just from hell, which is true, thank God. And we were saved not just for heaven someday, which is also true, praise the Lord. But Jesus saved us for the church right now. He put us into this body right now, into this intimate web of relationships that you are a part of this morning. And you are a part of if you are a follower of Christ. You may not know it. You may not even like it. But Jesus has put you together with the people that are sitting right around you. Take a look. Go ahead. Look around. In fact, turn to someone who's not your spouse and, said, and say, you belong to me. <laughs> Go ahead. Say it. Some of you aren't talking. All right. And now you can say, I belong to you. Do it again. Say it. And now say this to somebody. We need each other. Exactly so. The church matters. The church matters because Jesus called us into this essential life-giving interrelationship with one another. But then that begs the question, what is Jesus' relationship with the church? And Paul gives us a hint with this metaphor. What does he call, what does he say about Jesus' relationship with the church? He is the head. He is the head of the church. Now, Clearly, he's speaking about his authority. After all, he's been talking about his supremacy. In all things, he will have the, not just some, the supremacy. So clearly, Paul is talking about Christ's... Oh, I just stepped on part of the church. (laughs) Clearly, they backslid. (laughs) Paul's talking about the authority of Christ over the church. And he uses this image of headship. But it's not the only one he might have used. He could have, for instance, said, Christ is the emperor of the church. Wouldn't that have been a more relevant term at the time? They were, after all, living in the Roman Empire. Every person who lived within the realm of Rome's power knew exactly how much authority, how much power the emperor had. But that is not how Paul chooses to describe Jesus' authority. He says he is the head of the body. Now, here's a tough question. What is the essential reality of a relationship between a head and a body? What's the essential reality? 
that they are connected. Right? That they are connected. We've been watching a TV series on Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, (laughs) Clearly, I have some historians in this crowd. I suspect that might go right over the next group, but here we go. Um, (laughs) As you know, uh, Mary's uh, cousin, Queen Elizabeth, considered Mary to be a threat. She held her in prison for 14 years and finally decided she'd had enough of the threat. What did she do to take care of the threat? Right. No more threat. The head was gone. How many were around in 2003 when I took my family ice skating in? Yeah. For those of you who weren't here, we went to Sun Valley. We went ice skating. There's a picture of my family. Can you believe it? And, uh, and while we were skating, my, uh, my, sky, my skates went out from under me. I fell. I hit my head pretty violently. I was airlifted out to Boise. Uh, I had terrific brain swell. They put me into an induced coma. They let the uh, prayer group here know that my condition was grave. They pumped me full of steroids to make my brain stop swelling. Now, aside from what you see on the picture there, the rest of my body was fine. But it turns out that when the head is not functioning, the rest of the body, no matter how well it's doing, is useless. And Paul is saying, listen, the body and the head, they go together. Christ is the head of the body. The body needs the head. But here's a more provocative question that I've been considering. Does the head also need the body? I mean, surely in human form, we know the head needs the body. Even though it runs everything, it kind of depends on the heart and the rest, right? How about in this metaphor? We are quick to say, so so let me ask it this way. Does Jesus need his church? I mean, we're often quick to say God doesn't need anything. And surely that is true. I mean, God does not need anything. And I hope I'm not treading on heretical grounds here. But, but let me ask this. Does God need what God chooses to need? If God says, I'm going to need that as part of our eternity together, is that possible? When God the Son came, became a human being in Bethlehem, when he came to earth to redeem his church and to have an intimate relationship with her, when he chose to attach himself as the head to the body, wasn't he, in a sense, choosing to need us? Does that make sense? And if you don't agree, you can send me emails later. You always do. (laughs) And here's what I find interesting. He wasn't choosing to make this connection just for his time on earth, but for all of eternity. One of the most amazing things about the Incarnation, and perhaps you've never thought about this, is it was permanent. Did you know that? We talk about Jesus coming and taking this earthly form. That's the Incarnation. But we kind of think that when he goes back to heaven, he resumes business as usual. Ah, that's not what the Scriptures teach. Jesus ascended back into heaven in his resurrection human body. Jesus will one day come back to reclaim his world in his resurrected earthly body. For all of eternity, Jesus will bear upon himself the the scars of the crucifixion forever. 
So that when you and I breathe our last and stand before the Lord, every time we look upon his exalted and scarred body, we will be reminded of the great price that Christ was willing to pay that he might redeem his church. That blows my mind. My point is this. In a sense, you could say that by connecting to us as the head is connected to the body, Jesus was saying, I choose to need you. I choose to have an intimate relationship with you forever, and this body of mine will be a reminder of that. So when Justin Bieber and all of the Justins of the world say, I don't need the church to be a Christian, I can do it by myself, the voice of Jesus cries out, what are you talking about? I chose, I, the eternal second person of the Trinity, I chose to be connected to the church for eternity. I chose to bind myself to you. How can you do otherwise? There is no relationship with me that doesn't include the rest of my body. That's how much the church matters to me, Jesus says. In other words, if Jesus desires, dare I say, if Jesus needs an intimate relationship with us, how arrogant would we be to say that we don't need the same relationship with each other? We're building our, our church around life groups, small groups, covenant groups, and we've got a lot of them. And we, for the first time, have trained enough leaders that we could provide a life group for every member of this church. That's been a hard and intentional work because we think it's the core of our disciple-making ministry. Here's the deal. There are still hundreds of you who say, I don't need that. I'm fine. I can do this Christian thing on my own. Come to church and, and, and that's got it covered. I'm okay. I don't need anybody else. And I believe that Jesus would say to you, if that's you, are you crazy? I didn't save you to be by yourself. I saved you for a relationship within my body. If you are not in community, then you will never know what it means to live in real relationship with me. For that is how I relate to you. Why does the church matter? Because it is in community with each other, as different and as crazy and as broken as we might be, that Jesus connects us. There is no such thing as solo Christianity. And anyone who thinks so is just deluding himself, deluding herself. And it is only a matter of time before you will fall and there will be no one there to pick you up. So if you are indifferent to your commitment to this body. If you find yourself kind of checking off the religious boxes, or you intend worship only when nothing else is more attractive out there, or if you've never considered seriously the possibility that you, not the spouse sitting next to you, not the person in the pew down the way, but you need to be in a life group of accountability and prayer with other people then I dare say you do not really understand what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, who is the head of the body, who ministers through his body. That is why the church matters. It matters then because of relationship, essential relationship between us and 
and with the Lord. It also matters in a frightening way because we represent Jesus. The church represents Jesus. Let me, let me share something scary about the incarnation as you draw this out. Since Jesus is still in his earthly body and will be forever, since that earthly body ascended to be in heaven with the Father, the earthly body that walked Galilee and touched and ministered, how exactly is it then that Jesus continues to do his work on earth? Through his body, through us. We are the body of Christ in that way too. Or to put it differently, we are the continuing incarnation of Jesus to the world. Think about that one. And if you think I'm making that up, all we got to do is, is look what Paul wrote to the Ephesians, chapter 1. Ephesians and Colossians are very similar. But, uh, but Paul says a little bit more in chapter 1, verse 22. He said, God placed all things under Jesus' feet. And appointed him to be head, there's language, over everything for the church, which is his body. There's that language, but look at this next three lines. The fullness of him. Those four words. The the church is the fullness of Jesus. The body is the fullness of him who fills everything. Let's come back to this day's text. In verse 19, we read that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And then Paul writes to the Ephesians, and the fullness of Christ dwells in you, the body. So God fills Jesus to overflowing. Jesus is the fullness of us. Think about that for a moment. The fullness of Christ is fully represented in the body of Jesus. We and our brothers and sisters who are worshiping up at HCC today, And our brothers and sisters across the way at St. John's and down the way at Believers and over at Harbor Cove and around the community and around the world, all who bow the knee to Jesus, we together represent the fullness of Christ to the world. Now understand this is not individual. There's no single person who individually represents the fullness of Christ. Only Jesus does that. We are too flawed, we are too broken, we lack too many gifts, too many abilities. But the way Christ has woven his church together is this, that together we provide the gifts, together in our shared passions, our shared prayers, our shared gifts, and in the shared holiness of the body, we represent Christ to the world. We are the continuing incarnation of Jesus to his world, carrying on what was started in Bethlehem, which we will celebrate in a little more than a week's time. Really? Really. That's what God's word says. And that is another reason that the church matters. On our own, we are too sinful, too limited, too weak, too timid to show Jesus to the world that desperately needs Jesus. But when we come together, when we join our parts, our gifts, our passions, individually given to us by the Lord. When the one who is the hands and the one who is the throat and the one who is the little finger and the one who is the big toe and the spleen and the liver and the kidney. I don't know who's the appendix here. That's kind of waste. But when all of us 
come together, pool our gifts, our resources, our passions, our calling. Jesus wants to use us to redeem his world. And if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks to the news, this world needs redeeming. Is the church flawed? Of course it is. It's one of the reasons that people quickly put up. It's full of hypocrites. Of course it is. Come on in. There's room for one more, we might say. Of course the church is flawed. But the church still matters deeply. Absolutely. It mattered enough to Jesus that he took on human form forever so that he might join himself to her. It, the church matters enough to Jesus that he was willing to die for her. The church matters enough to Jesus that he was willing to hand off his mission to her without a backup plan. The church matters to Jesus. If you don't care to be really connected to Chapel Hill or to any of the other great churches in this community, pick one, then then this, I will be so bold as to say, you don't really care to be connected to Jesus and what he is doing in his world. Do you really think you can live this way? I don't think so. And why would you? It is almost too much for us to conceive, Jesus, that you would leave the side of your Father, you would leave the praise of the angels, you would leave the glory of eternal heaven to become one of us, and then you would carry that body, that scarred reminder of your enduring love, back into heaven, So that every time we look upon you, we will see the depth of your love for us. And it is Christ, it is in that incarnation that you said, I am going to join myself to the body, to my body. I am going to link them together. I am going to knit them together. I am going to make them essential to each other, necessary to each other. And through them, my kingdom will come. God, I don't know how much we believe that, but today I think we believe it a little bit more. And I pray that you would strengthen your church and that you would begin right here. That those who are indifferent to the church, those who don't really care, would suddenly say, I need the church and the church needs me. I will love this church the way I live and serve. Holy God, do that in our midst. May this church, as part of your church, may it matter to us and ultimately to you as we seek to be Jesus to the world. We ask it in his matchless name. Amen. So, there would be no time like the present to speak to the hundreds of you who are not yet a part of a life group and say, what's stopping you? What's holding you back? So I want to invite you to listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. As your pastor, I'm telling you, I want every member of this church to be a part of a life group. You will never become the disciple God intends for you to be until you are in a community of people who are walking with you together. I want every member of this church to do this. And to that end, I would say, even if you already filled out one of these, pull out another card 
and say, I am interested in life groups, and give it to an usher, turn it in at the Connect Center. You can also pull out that nifty app that we've been talking about. There's actually a Connect button on the app, and it'll take you right to a life group. You can pick, pick it up. It's cool. It's very cool. But I would love today to the, for the response of our church to be hundreds of people who step up and say, okay, I'm not going to go this alone anymore. I'm not going to be this pathetic wiener. <laughs> Words to live by. <laughs> so I invite you to do that. We can't possibly be the hands, the mind, the, the, the voice, the heart of Christ without his spirit. So raise your hands up and surrender one more time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace, both now and forevermore. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of Christ's body said, Amen. Amen.